Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What you need to know before hiring a nanny. Finding suitable childcare is an issue that we know makes many of our listeners bull. Today's lead guest was so struck by the financial complexity of working out the costs of hiring a nanny from tax to organising a pension and accounting for various extras, she decided to write about her experiences and it generated a huge response from equally frazzled FT readers. December and January are, unfortunately, very busy months for fraudsters. Later in the podcast, we'll be highlighting a series of online scams designed to trick people into giving over money and payment details. And we hear from a fraud-busting expert about how biometrics could be a better way of keeping our financial details secure. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. After her daughter was born, FT writer Isabella Kaminska started looking into the cost of hiring a nanny. At first, the numbers seemed to compare favourably against the cost of sending her child to nursery. But Isabella quickly discovered that the true costs were not only far higher, but impossible to accurately forecast. One of the most read articles on FT.com last week, Isabella says this is the piece she wished she could have read herself before returning to work. And she joins me now in the FT studio. Welcome, Izzy. Hi, nice to be here. Well, it's been a long time in the planning, this piece, I have to say. Started from a conversation in the tea room with you saying, but your first equation was looking at the cost of sending your child to nursery versus the cost of hiring a nanny. And that's when you realised it's just so impossible to compare like with like. Yes, exactly. Because I think, you know... one wants to save money, but one also wants to do the best that's, you know, the best thing for their child. So there are obviously going to be certain um, extras that come with a nanny that you're prepared to pay for because it's that, you know, additional special touch that you get from having a one-on-one carer. But um, if if nursery looks really competitive, you know, you're going to do it. So I, um, I looked into nurseries and I was very, you know, I, I was keen. In my, originally, I wanted to have a part nanny, part nursery solution. Um, that would have been ideal three days nursery say two days nanny but when I started looking in with agencies to get part-time nanny I realized that that was going to be impossible not only mm. did the agencies show very little interest in advertising for a part-time position um, in some cases they told me they just don't do it um, 
I realised I would have to have the complexity of both managing a nursery situation and then doing all the sort of employer-based stuff in hiring a part-time worker anyway. So you don't get an advantage on that front. Um, so yeah, I, I realised it was going to be complex. So I thought, you know, let's start off with just going down the nanny route. Now, when you looked at the headline costs per hour mm-hmm. for hiring a nanny, you thought, oh, actually, compared to the cost per day of sending your child to nursery... That looks like, you know, quite good value. But it turned out because of the net gross convention, you were wrong. Exactly. So one thing that struck me immediately was, well, look, you know, these these nannies in some cases are advertising like £12 an hour, £9 an hour. Um, that's doable. Um, you know, not it's not entirely crazy. But of course, as I looked into it, I realised I, I hadn't seen the small print. It was all NPH, net per hour as opposed to, you know, conventional gross. I found this absolutely extraordinary because I'd I'd never come across it in any other sector. Um, And when I spoke to the agencies, they were like, no, no, that's what the nannies do. This is the norm. It's what they understand. It's what they understand and and it's what they ask for, apparently. Like whenever the agencies try to make them gross, they don't want to go that way. Um, But when I spoke to the nannies, when researching uh, this piece, they they tended to blame the agency. So it's not it's it's unclear to me who's really pushing it. But I think um, certainly it didn't help me because you then have to do all the calculations. And as I say in the piece, you know, it is you know somebody mentioned you know as an FT journalist, I should be able to do those basic calculations, which I can. But there are certain aspects that are totally unknowable at the sort of interview stage. You're interviewing lots of nannies. You don't know at that point who's got a student loan, who has, you know, already used up their allowance, who has, you know, other part-time work perhaps. Um, So you can never really know your true costs at that early stage. And that's an important factor to have um, in your sort of toolkit of, um, you know, things when you're trying well, to evaluate. It's, it's a swing pack factor exactly. of several thousand pounds mm-hmm. because as the employer of the nanny, you have not only got to pay your own tax and national insurance, but out of your net pay, you've got to pay the nanny's tax, the nanny's national insurance, your national insurance con- contributions for the nanny as an employer, but also potentially a pension for the nanny as well. Right. If And, and you absolutely have to auto-enrol them. Uh, you also have to consider the insurance. You've got employer's liability insurance. The nanny's also supposed to have her own insurance. Um, student loans have to be factored into the equation if the nanny insists on a net pay arrange, arrangement, which is something I hadn't really considered. Luckily, my, my nanny didn't have any legacy student loans. But these are all additionals. Um, and then when you consider the, the risk of them possibly becoming pregnant or going on maternity leave those are additional costs as well you bear all those costs and and you know i i think it's important to stress because in the comments a lot of people sort of said oh well nannies have to you know you know it's fair and right that nannies should be protected no and no, nobody is saying for the avoidance of yeah. that that, na- that nannies shouldn't have pensions because yeah. they absolutely should or that nannies shouldn't be allowed to take holiday or um god forbid have a baby go on maternity leave you know that is absolutely not what this piece was about. The piece is about somebody trying to negotiate hiring um, childcare and the kind of total inadequacy of um, the the tax system and various employment systems to make it easy for people to work out what the actual cost would be. Precisely. So I am, you know, very... um, vocal about my uh, sort of, I, I in fact campaigned quite, quite 
loudly for the rights of you know co- contract workers whether they're delivery uber workers I, I feel very passionately that you know we need to make sure everyone is getting the entitlements that they deserve so i'd be an utter hypocrite if uh, if i didn't think <laughs> nannies, nannies. <laughs> nannies didn't deserve it too but that wasn't really my issue i always wanted to pay everything i had to pay it was about how difficult the system made it um you know how difficult it was to understand what your obligations were and, and how to manage them and a lot of commenters also talked about um, how this can be sort of uh, overcome with the use of payroll agencies, special, yes. specialist agencies. And, and they do do that job. And I have to admit, it does... At a, at a cost of at around £300 a year, as you pointed out, please. Nanny tax and nanny PAYE are two of the biggest um, ones. And one of those um, agencies actually does quite a lot of research into nanny pay because of the data that it's able to grab by processing all of the payrolls, which in itself um, provided some really interesting insights for the piece but they can make it easier um those kinds of businesses but ultimately it often falls to the mother doesn't it to have to sort out this stuff absolutely and even though they are doing the calculations you still have to be on the phone to them every time something happens and theoretically if you're doing everything 100% above board you are supposed to email them every time your nanny does overtime that's like you know potentially five emails a week and on top of that you you have to you know be on call waiting every time you want to tell them that there's a change in, in circumstances for your nanny whether so these are all I mean I know they're small things but when you add it to the overall sort of bundle of responsibilities you take on as a new parent it's just that extra little bit of you know brain capacity that is is removed from the, from your own potential in other areas well, well certainly you, you promised at the outset of the piece this is the the article i wish i had read um you know before i went back to work and was considering all this stuff and i have to say about three quarters of the um readers the 300 readers who commented on the piece broadly agreed and said yes you know this is an accurate reflection of our experiences or i'm going to pass on this article to um you know my my daughter or my friend who's having a baby you know lots of endorsement of Yes, I've been battling this um, alone, which is not great from a lifestyle point of view, but great from, um, you know, the, the, the fact that the piece hit the right note. But the other kind of quarter of the commentators um, were sounding rather more dismissive, shall we say, of the problems parents face finding the right type of childcare. Yes, it's true. <laughs> well, I, I was, you know, these sorts of pieces always, uh, you know, do um, attract different opinions. And that's, that's good. I think that's, uh, that's fair. But, um, uh, you know, I've picked up some of the comments. Uh, I think one of the ones that uh, drew my attention was uh, coffee and cake. Oh, yes, coffee and cake. <laughs> Yes, all nanny and childcare costs are tax deductible, at least to 25%. That's fair. Increased state funding for nursery costs between years 18 months to four years. Fair enough. P.S. Anyone else find it strange that Isabella works for the FT but had no idea about the economics of having children and how this affects many working families, which I think sums up the kind of um, some of the sort of less accommodating comments um, on on the piece. Mainly, there are some people that seem to think that it is, you know, the parents' fault if 
they didn't go into this entire situation with their eyes open about how costly it would be and how much they're going to have to sacrifice. Um, and, you know, I, I responded by saying, you know, actually, one of the reasons I left it so long to have kids is because I was fully aware of how how expensive childcare is going to be. So I don't think that's very fair. Um, life happens. And, and one, especially these days, you, you, you're geared towards a sort of two, two salary income very often on, mm. in, in many families. And you can be as prudent as, as as you can be. And obviously, if you listen to to Claire, if you, if people listen to your podcast, then they're, surely they're they're making uh, wise financial decisions. But you end up overstretching yourself more often than not. You you live to to maximize that double income, and I don't think that's that that's you know unreasonable because you don't know if you're going to be able to have children. You can't you can't just have you know live on the expectation that, you know, by 35, you're going to have kids, blah, blah, blah. I have to have saved this much amount of money, blah, blah, blah. You just don't know. Things yeah. happen or they don't. Well, in my so case, what... you meet a man who's already got children. Exactly. <laughs> Where Any... does that leave you? Every... Broke. Anything can happen. Life happens. So um, I, I don't think that's a fair comment, to be fair. <laughs> well, there were some very nice comments. I, I particularly like the one about Peppa Pig. That was a, that was a favourite. Um, yes, no, it was almost like the, the commenter knows what's going on in my house. Miss Miss Leia, my daughter, is um, obsessed with Peppa. So if, if a role could be engineered for her here at the FT covering the antics of Peppa Pig, I'd be all for that. But actually, it's a fair point in terms of, um, you know, other other companies do have in-house crash. Um, and uh, some other commenters did mention why don't you know why don't companies provide crashes um, as as an option? I think that's all fair and reasonable. But when people live an hour away from where they work, it's not it's not a solution either because you can't really go on. Um, yeah, try getting on a underground train and exactly. rush out with a buggy. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna honestly, happen. clearly an idea thought of by somebody who doesn't have children. Well, a, a couple of other comments. So there were some really interesting personal stories. Um, from people. Um, Richmond was one. She said, I brought up my daughter alone. Um, none of my family live nearby. Another um, equation which you mentioned in your piece. So I was totally dependent on nannies. The whole childcare process is horrendous. And Isabella's article highlights the administrative nightmare that mothers, and it is still mainly mothers, have to face on top of maintaining their careers. The day my daughter reached 14 and we managed to organise our lives without a nanny was a day of celebration. My now 22-year-old daughter, by the way, is a total joy. Nice. Well, and I think, you know, it's nice to hear that it's not just me. Um, I mean, not nice. I, I sympathise greatly. But it's good to hear that this isn't just me, that this is a bigger bigger issue that is affecting lots of mums. Um, and I do agree that, you know, as as much as men are trying to get involved in the process, the burden still falls on the, on the mum, mainly because, you know, my perception is that we're perceived as having some sort of instinct in this area. And, and naturally, you know, we end up, I think, of our own uh, volition doing the extra work because, you know, in my case, maybe I don't want to speak for other women, but you know, I don't kind of trust my husband to do it. <laughs> so it's my own fault. You know, he, he it's not that he doesn't want to help. He does. But I have to double check what he does anyway. So I might as well do it. <laughs> well, it's, it's not just childcare. It's kind of social arrangements mm -hmm. for the family mm -hmm. in general, I find. My husband will say to me, 
what are we doing this weekend? Um, and it's almost like it's up to me to kind of organise it and tell him what to do. But some of the older um, commentators, well, I know this guy's old because his his, uh, his commenter profile is called Grumpy Old Man. Um, <laughs> he says, before we had our children, we agreed that one of us would give up work so that the children could be looked after. I am afraid there is no other choice. Well, that that was echoed by a lot of the kind of like older profile commentators who were saying, yes, in those days, it was kind of like one or the other. One reader saying, you know, she was the one who went back to work and her husband was the one who um, stayed at home and managed the kids. That was how they made it work. Yeah. And I, I got the perception that in some cases there was a sort of judgment that women that want to go back to work and have it all are a little bit... Um, you know, selfish. <laughs> so uh, that the fault is with us and that maybe, you know, I think there was a comment saying something like, well, how, who knows how her children are going to turn out if she doesn't even want to look after them herself. Yes. I think there was one saying, why don't you go straight for adoption? Right. Exactly. Out- outsource the Charming. process completely. Yes, exactly. As if that's a if that's a solution. <laughs> well, thanks very much there to Isabella Kaminska, the editor of FT Alphaville. You can read Izzy's piece, which is called Hiring a Nanny, what I wish I'd known now on ft.com slash money. And there is also some rather beautiful photographs of Izzy and her daughter Leia, who is the FT's Peppa Pig correspondent in waiting. Do you consider yourself to be a nice person? Of course you do. But being nice could put you more at risk of falling for a financial scam, according to a research study last week from HSBC, the High Street Bank. Being too trusting with your data and banking details can end in financial disaster. So what can consumers do to protect themselves? Here to discuss with me is Charles Damon, Senior Vice President of Payment Strategy at WorldPay. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Thank you, Claire. So there are a myriad ways that fraudsters try to trick us into parting with our payment details. The most common, as I wrote about last week, being an email or a text that appears to come from an official body like the tax office or the TV licensing authorities um, telling us that something's gone wrong with a link. But the link that we click on will go to a fake but very convincing looking website there to harvest our information. Yeah, indeed, uh, Claire, we see this a lot um, and, and consumers should be really mindful at times like this, uh, particularly when they're shopping a lot uh, and are very, very busy. Um, we see it as our role um, in the industry to prevent fraud and ensure consumers feel safe whilst transacting online. Um, so if you shop online, what we do is we help our customers, the, 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 the online shops, um, in order to use sophisticated fraud tools using machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict fraud and to prevent fraud uh, while shopping. Um, And we do that by using millions of data points from previous transactions so we can see when fraud could, for example, occur and how it could occur. So one of the things we see, for example, is that consumers spend a lot and shop a lot on the Fridays. That is typically the time when fraudsters also uh, start to use and, and start to, print, to to make any attacks. And that's the so-called Friday afternoon fraud, because if something does go wrong, you're probably not going to be able to do anything about it until Monday morning. Indeed, indeed. Giving them longer to get away with your cash. Absolutely. Um, so... Our models, uh, our models are built to prevent fraud at those times of the day uh, and help and help to predict merchants to ensure that the settings are tightened at that time of the day for those type of transactions. Now, a really good way, though, for consumers, and if you want to share your payment details online, um, 
is to use mobile wallets, for example, such as Apple Pay or Google Pay, because what you do then is you authenticate yourself and you identify yourself that it's really you who is making that transaction at that time by, for example, using your fingerprint or your facial recognition. So that's a very secure way of uh, making sure that you can uh, that you can transact online in a very secure way without anybody, any third party being able to um, take or store um, your your card number and your card details. Well, fraudsters also try to impersonate big tech firms like Apple, um, saying your Apple ID. It's about to expire. I've had lots of texts um, about that. The first one I got, I thought, blimey, I better do something about this or my phone will stop working. And then I realised that the um, the URL shortener um, that the fraudster had used in the link was saying I hyphen Apple. So that was how I managed to catch out that one. But my dad was very nearly reeled in by an Amazon scam um, last week. He hasn't got Amazon Prime, I have. Um, and he had a recorded message when he picked up the phone which I think should raise anybody's heckles, saying, this is Amazon calling to say that your Amazon Prime membership is about to renew and £79 will be deducted from your account. If you do not want to renew, press 1. So, of course, he presses 1, thinking, I haven't got this and I don't want to be scalped for £79. And then he got through to a human being who said... Um, oh, well, you know, give us your card details and things. And it was quite insistent. And it was the insistence of the um, person saying, you have to give us your information now that made him hang up. And of course, then he got in contact with Amazon, who said, I'm afraid this is um, this this is a scam. But, you know, there's a pattern here, isn't there? Absolutely. And it is it is really interesting to see how fraud has become so sophisticated. Um, and I think in this case, nothing replaces consumers being really vigilant. And again, they always target times when you're busy, when you have something else on your mind. Um, there's always this pattern of forcing you into doing something quickly. Um, now, what we see from some of our consumer surveys is we've been looking at what can we do to prevent fraud and what do consumers trust in order to manage their passwords. And what is really interesting is that a lot of consumers, and we know this, only uses a couple of passwords. Mm. Um, and of course, that's a very unsafe way of working because once you get hacked into, that password can be reused at, at lots of other well, Especially on these like fake HMRC, DVLA sites, etc. They'll get you to create a password for that fake website. Um, and if you always use Arsenal 1, which apparently is, other than password, is the most common password in Britain, I read in one survey, then they could then control your email if that's the password to your email. And once they've got into your email, then, you know, they can basically run your life. Absolutely. And so... What was interesting is that, yeah, we, so we still see that consumers prefer passwords over biometrics. Uh, biometrics are inherently more secure, though, and this is really where the industry is moving to. So recently there was a new regulation, a payments regulation that was introduced that basically require every electronic transaction to have two-factor authentication or what we call strong customer authentication. And when you're shopping online, that will be the text to your phone with a code that you've then got to punch into the website that you're buying from? For example, but that text wouldn't be enough. Uh, it, would be, uh, it would be, for example, a question or a couple of questions that you would need to answer and then a text. That makes it two-factor. Another good example would be 
you shop online and, for example, you get a notification on your phone and then you need to use your mobile banking app with your login from your mobile banking app. And often that's, that can be your face or your fingerprint. Or your fingerprint, yeah. To uh, confirm that it's really you. Now, that technology is very secure because, yeah, you log in day to day into your mobile banking app and it will be the same process. But that process would then be linked to, for example, your credit card transaction in future. Um it could also in future use in-app biometric, as you can see again in Apple Pay or in Google Pay. So increasingly biometrics are being used in order to prevent this type of fraud and really prove that it's you making that transaction, not someone else. Now, there is some pushback from consumers um, to biometric. Um, notably, there was um, a case in the press a while ago where um, somebody with a Samsung phone put a screen um, protector on it and then found that her husband's thumbprints could um, unlock her phone. Now, that is um, a, a software bug that has since been corrected. But um, lots of the banks, nevertheless, are very interested in biometrics. I mean, RBS started a trial last week of a biometric key fob that you can make payments of up to £100 on. Um, now, when we talked about that um, last week, there were lots of comments from, from people saying, well, why would you want one of these key fobs when you can do exactly that um, on your phone? Because many people are already quite happy spending on their phones and the technology is just becoming easier and easier to use, quicker and quicker to transact. Absolutely. We see, we've done some research and we saw um, SFIS that 40% of consumers would actually be prepared to ditch their cards for biometric uh, mobile payments. So um, some of those are still nervous about their personal data being hacked into. But what you start to see, particularly with the Generation Z and millennials, so anyone from 18 to 35 year old, they now prefer the use of biometrics. So we encourage developments such as that, such as the key fob, um, any, any developments that can increase security of payments, reduce fraud of payments, while still making it easy to use, is encouraged. That said, I would say that there are moves in the industry now to potentially increase um, the contactless limit on biometrics. And of course, if you use your phone uh, with Apple Pay and with Google Pay, you don't have a contactless limit. So uh, the RBS key fob now processes payments up to about £100. If you use a mobile wallet, there is no contactless limit for those type of transactions. Because again, you securely prove that it's you who is uh, who is transacting. Very interesting. Well, I'm sure that lots of you will have many things to say about this topic if you're comfortable using biometrics or if you get driven mad using passwords. I did a column a while ago about why does my pensions provider want to know the name of my first boyfriend about those so-called memorable words, <laughs> which uh, none of us can remember when the time comes. But thank you very much there to Charles Damon at WorldPay. And if you'd like to read my column, don't fall for these 10 financial scams. It's free to read and share with all of your relatives on ft.com slash money. That's it for The Money Show this week. If you would like to get in touch with our team of experts or writers, you can email us our address money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Our handle is at ftmoney. The FT Money podcast was edited in London by Lucy Warwick-Ching. We'll be back again next week. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM.